Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 211, where I had a conversation with George Henderson. He's a musician. Um, I'm going to say he's a writer and uh, academic as well. We do talk about that, his academic career. Um, And... uh, you know, you might know him and his music from The Puddle. Uh, there are other bands, the Ann Band, there are um, other musical activities, but The Puddle is, I think, one of the great New Zealand bands and um, George is one of our great, uh, so- maybe slightly under-heralded songwriters um, and musicians. And I'd wanted to have this conversation for a while. I know I say that quite often, but in the, in the case of this, we had almost lined up to do this a couple of years ago and then when I was visiting Auckland uh, he was I think somewhere else anyway he was taking off the day I arrived and then it took a wee while to reschedule this and then out of the blue he messaged me at the very start of this year and said I'm actually going to be in Wellington with some time to spare are you still interested in a chat and uh, fantastic always great when someone uh, comes to you and you don't have to organise it and in this case uh, a conversation I'd long wanted to have so this is either the very first or the second conversation recorded in 2020 this was recorded uh, back in the early days of January and uh George came around to my house and we had a we had a chat about his life and work and he got very candid about um, some of his uh, drug use and some of the problems that that put him in uh, earlier in his life and I guess his his ongoing rehabilitation and his ongoing creative practices that um, have him finding his way in this world. Um, I love George's writing. I've published a couple of things um, at Off The Tracks. He's written a couple of guest posts for me. Most recently, he wrote one about classical music, and we do talk a little bit about that in the podcast, so uh, there will be a link to that in the notes if you want to familiarise yourself with that. Uh, It was an essay, basically, that um, he worried no one would would publish, and I said, well, I can't pay you, but if you want to see it somewhere online, I can put it online for you, certainly, and I'm really um, honoured to be the, the publisher of that piece, I guess. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation, me talking with George Henderson. Uh, this is Sweetman Podcast. You can listen to it in all the places where you find podcasts. You can do the like and subscribe and rate and review thing if you want. And my thanks to Yesty Boys and TFT. We've, we've only met one time briefly. You came to Wellington and came and said hello to me when I was oh, playing yeah. some records a few years yeah, ago. And you were DJing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but we've corresponded quite a bit yes. over the years. I don't know how that, probably just Facebook. I don't know how that happened, but I remember falling in love with your music and finding you online. And that's how we sort of struck up some conversations. You've done a couple of great pieces of writing for me most recently. Um, uh, it was a pleasure to publish that um, that guest blog that you did about classical. Oh, it, was, yeah. it was just great to have somebody want to carry it in there. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you write about well, diminishing uh, <laughs> returns and, and shrinking landscape for this stuff now, yeah, isn't it? You, yeah. you can't get commissioned to do something, so yeah, yeah, certainly, you write yeah. something. And if you write something that's in-depth and kind of yes. long form, it's kind of, you know, too much for yeah, you need who to want clickbait. Yeah, you need to have your own website or know someone that's yeah. <laughs> got a website. And I, I should probably look to carry a few more guest posts from people for that reason, just because there's people out there that, you know, but I, yeah. I don't want to look like I'm capitalising on other no, people doing no, the work. But, but yeah, if, but you can be the platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Certain, and know, that's something that has crossed my mind. Stuff, because we just don't have in-depth, um, yeah. in-depth stuff in New Zealand. I mean, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of the last reviewer here. Mm. <laughs> you and Graham Reed, but he, yeah. doesn't do the, he doesn't do sort of live stuff so much. Yeah, so yeah. you're kind of the... Um, <coughs> 
you're kind of like um, the last connection to something that musicians used to take for granted, which yeah. was this kind of um, really kind of detailed feedback from yeah. experts, you know. Yeah. Um, and you, you can't, you don't get that anymore. You well, can Graham's have, is extraordinary. The amount of records he gets through yeah. still is amazing. Like the amount of albums he manages to get through and and, and make informed comment on in a year. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought I'd really slowed down on reviewing albums. I feel I have, but I think I still reviewed 200 albums last year, but he must do like a thousand. <laughs> He's yeah. just getting through so much stuff. It's amazing. So, well, where did you, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about you. I know, I know a bit about you. We, we've talked, I know some of your story will go through it, but where did you grow up? I was born in Edinburgh, um, in Scotland. Mm. I spent the first eight years of my life in Edinburgh and then my family immigrated here in 1966 and I moved to Invercargill and I was brought up in Invercargill and when I uh, you know, left school, got a job, learnt to play music and went to university in Dunedin in 1977 and dropped out of university, went to Wellington at the start of the punk scene there Spent a couple of week, couple of years there. Went to Christchurch, played there for a couple of years. Then moved to Dunedin, sort of for good for a long time, and then eventually moved to Auckland in this century. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's where you are now. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's go back to what do you remember of uh, Scotland? Um. Um. I remember, you know, the landscape of Edinburgh, big stone, mm. sort of. Um, uh, hilly, stony, granite city with granite buildings and um, I remember, you know, the, the temperature extremes because that was a kind of a, a contrast when I came to New Zealand mm. it's much more like the island climate's much more stable and, and, and in Scotland, you know, you'd have really hot days in summer where the tar would melt and you'd have snow piled on the streets in winter. Mm. So so I just, that, that's one thing I remember um, and... Yeah, yeah, I do have a you know quite a, a, a memory of the layout of mm. it and, and the kind of the, the feel of, of the city. Um, yeah. What of a connection do you have? Like, do you feel bound to that heritage in any way? Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do kind of relate to it. You know. I'm yeah. quite, I mean, I'm you know quite um, stereotypically Scottish in character in a lot of ways, for yeah. example, and kind of relate to that. And um, I. Um, my grandfather on my mother's side was a poet and playwright who wrote, um, and newspaper editor, who wrote in um, Lallan Scots, which was is kind of the, um, not Gaelic, but the Scottish mm. dialect, mm, mm. and um, similar to what, I suppose, what Burns used, and, um, and, and, and was involved in trying to keep that alive, and <clears throat> while knowing that that limited the audience for his work, and kind of you know that that kind of appears in, mm. in his in, in his poems that, that he kind of knows that he's limiting his audience by doing this, but it's what he thinks is what he needs to do, which I kind of identify with that that kind of um, you know uncommercial non less commercial decision. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And so what what why Invercargill? You arrive in Invercargill, I guess, around the time you're living there, and the and the time when sort of infamously Keith Richards calls it the asshole of the world yeah. and, and that apocryphal possibly apocryphal yeah, story yeah, yeah and it's um and you know it's it's in many ways it's a very bleak place mm. to grow up but the the other side of it is that it's very um cultural 
there's a lot of interest in music and um, and literature, perhaps more than a bigger city where you've got more diversions, you know. Mm. And and so, um, uh, you know, when I when I started buying classical music in, in second hand shops, Invercargill was the best place that I ever shopped right. <laughs> for op shopping or for yeah. classical records, for example. And and the music I got introduced to when I was young in Invercargill, I was introduced to avant garde classical music, avant-garde jazz, and bands like the Velvet Underground, and, mm. um, you know, Velvet Underground, Roxy Music, Eno, and um, The Can, um, before they were common currency among mm-hmm. the youth of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. In fact, I came, to, I came to Dunedin in 1977 with my Can records and my Kevin A records and Sid Barrett records, and people just went, what is this shit, you know, and mm. put it on sticky fingers again for the hundredth time, <laughs> you know, and that's... and. <laughs> You know, it was it was obviously not as advanced as in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a year later, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing the Velvet Underground coming out of houses, and people have been like, you know, would refuse to let you play it a year before, and mm. then, then a year later, every flat was playing <laughs> because, because of punk. Mm. Yeah, so um, so it wasn't a bad place to grow up culturally. Well, when you when you say you were put onto this music, how did you find it, and who was who was your sort of what was your trigger for getting interested in music? Well, um... As a listener. Oh, as a listener. When, when I was about 13, 14, I don't know, um, I went to a concert at... It was just a variety concert at the town hall, so the end-of-year thing that had all sorts of stuff, orchestra and, you know, magician and whatever. Mm. And there was a glam rock band called Watchdog mm. who were... I'm sorry, Invercargill's sort of top um, glam rock band. And... Um, they were doing Bowie covers and T-Rex. Started, they started with Get It On. It was mm. just like, bang, you know, this is this is marvellous. And kind of, I could do this, you know. I couldn't necessarily, you know, um, you know, get a V8 or something like that or one of the other standard yeah. symbols, but I could do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, this is within my grasp. Just spoke to you and, straight away. Yeah, it spoke to me straight away. And it's, and it's um, just these all those great songs from early 70s mm. rock. And um, and then they started writing their own music, which was got even more interesting. And um, and so I was able to kind of watch a band develop, um, you know, along the path of doing their original material, presenting mm. it to audience, audiences. Audiences sometimes hated it, you know. Mm. It's kind of divisive and so forth. And and it was yeah, like that that was a, a really cool experience. So that got me into it. And um, my friend now. The, the radio station there was quite um, you know they had a free car. They had they had times when they'd play. Um, unusual music on for today, and so I remember my mother saying, "George, George, you got to come and listen to this." And it was Frank Zappa, "Help Him Rock," mm. and I was, you know, what, you know, just twelve or something at that mm. time, and so I was aware that there, there was this kind of world of kind of weirder and more expressive music out there. You know, I heard the Pink Fairies on the radio. I heard Pink Floyd on the radio. I heard first time I heard a Sid Barrett song. My music teacher, because I took music, um, I took fifth form music when I was in the sixth form, so I could catch up a bit. And mm. she put on um, Amagama, the first track of Amagama is Astronomy Donnelly, and I was like, wow, that's a fantastic mm. sound, you know? That's a sound like what I'd want to make. And um, and so I, you know, I followed all those all those things up later and my friend Lindsay Maitland worked in a record shop and um, and he would also bring stuff like you know Zanarkis or uh, Richard Strauss or um, John Coltrane home and um, you know we'd, we and we so we'd be listening to you know anything that was challenging to listen to we'd give it a listen mm. and um, 
and also that was and also but also you know Penderecki was you know, part of my music course and that so I also knew about knew about it from that and um, avant-garde music and so when we started playing and recording our own music we could do a few basic rock things like Velvet Underground songs and Stooges songs with two chords but we could also make experimental sounds you know mm-hmm. we could also imitate <laughs> imitate you know scratching the strings or making tape loops and all these ideas that we'd heard on avant-garde records as mm. well so it, it kind of um, gave us a bigger repertoire. Mm-hmm. Now you're quite a um, I guess quite a literate songwriter is would be one way to describe your uh, approach to lyrics they you know you're, you're they're thoughtful they yeah. they aren't just they aren't just something that fits the meter of the song in fact sometimes they purposely don't fit the meter of the song yeah they have to um i guess they have to kind of stand alone and they have to um um kind of mean something mm, they have to mm. kind of mean something and, and be original and so forth and um and yeah so you've hinted at like poetry and literature in the household and in the family heritage was that something you you did grow up with were you you know i know you're a big reader now i mean i was i was i was a huge reader i would have i would go to the library and get out as many books as i could and i'd have like four open at one time yeah really more different subjects different. i was that that kind of reader i was yeah and um yeah yeah fictional non-fiction as long as it was interesting and Mm. you know increasingly kind of became aware of what was well written and what wasn't and um, mm. and um, inspiring you know you know you want stuff to ins- uh, to kind of inspire your own thoughts and kind of fill you in on the world ahead um, yeah so you have that moment watching a band and going I could do this this speaks to me when do you have a moment where you're connecting with music as a player and going I, I can actually do this and want to carry on because every lots of people have a you know yeah. I found a tape of myself playing the drums when I was fourteen and uh, with a mate playing guitar and I played it to my son the other day and it's obviously pretty horrendous but I can't say that that's the moment that I went oh mm. if I stick at this I can do it like that could be a one off I could have never played again after that maybe yeah. I shouldn't have um, that's a good that's a good question and maybe we were lucky we didn't have an audience you know mm. it was just me and my brother and then me me and Ian and then me and Ian and Lindsay making um, music in the front room recording mm. it onto cassettes so programming these cassettes and presenting them as if they were proper albums mm. and, and me just writing songs as I went along um, to kind of fill in the to fill them in and um, and so we got quite a bit under our belt before anyone could really listen to it and criticise it, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is, I think, lucky. I think lucky, yeah. And, and, and you're um, in that lucky situation too that you're big brother, so you've got little brother just keen to be involved, basically. Yes, and, yes, you know, at, so, yeah. not, to, not to belittle his contribution, but to begin with, you know, you're his hero who's yeah, and, doing the stuff and he's just involved. So that's, yeah, and, he too, and he's a fantastic drummer. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He's like a born drummer, so it's kind of... I mean, I've had... I think incredible luck with with drummers in my yeah, yeah. In, in, in my life. Like when I got Leslie to join the puddle, that was like looking back wouldn't have worked otherwise. Mm, you know, mm. it, 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 what what would have happened would have been something quite different, and mm. I think inferior. So um, these are um, you know I've, I've had great luck in that regard, mm. and and I, th- and, and I think you know part of that comes from being able to write songs. If you're able to write songs, people are more likely to want to play them than you know play play with you because of the song not mm. necessarily because you're a great musician because I don't think I was for most of that time you know it took me a long time to kind of have 
confidence in my playing, but I think there's a thing like when you're young, and maybe more so when you're young and male, that you you really you really don't hear the critics for a while. Mm. You really can just have this kind of blind self-belief in something that may well be terrible and do it often enough often enough that if you're lucky you may Cut through get it. some kind <laughs> yeah. of yeah, you may get some kind of ability, you know. Well, don't, it's really important that though, isn't it? Like it is important to to uh, you know, self-awareness is something that you you gather, you know, with time. You don't, yeah. you know, no one comes out fully formed. So to have this kind of almost ridiculous belief in what you're doing would be the reason to, for, for everyone to carry on. Yeah, like yeah. It's needed. Yeah, and, um, you know, and I see it, and I see it now. You know, I see young musicians come up and, you know, they're terrible, but they keep on going and then they're great. Mm. You know, it's, mm. that's, that's the, the kind of the normal path. The person who's kind of born as a, a fully-fledged genius yes. that can impress people with what they do is very rare. Yeah. And they don't always and they, develop, and they don't always develop they burn, as well as the others. That's right, they burn out or they're, <laughs> yeah, a, one yeah, tr- or they're I mean, a one-trick pony. Yeah, I mean, lots of people are brilliant, you know, when they're young. Mm. And where are they now? And, um, mm. Yeah. So, what did you want to do? Like, what did you, you know, outside of playing music, what did you want to first do in life? Like, you go to, you say you go to university and you drop out. What, what did you go to university to do? I went to university to do literature and, um, I suppose, I, literature, music. I really wanted to do music, I suppose, yeah. but I had to take other courses. But then I found out that my musical education just wasn't advanced enough to, to allow me to understand. Um, even the basic lessons in harmony and, mm. and so forth. And I actually, I don't actually have a great ear. Like, I can't name the key of a song. Um, I, I can barely tell if it's major or minor. I can't, um, I, I find it very hard doing rhythmic notation. Uh, you know, I can I can do other notation, but actually getting the rhythms right is, is very hard. So I don't really have the kind of close ear that that, mm. I, that I would have needed to, to do that or, or kind of the mathematical sense and those things. You know, I'm more about... I kind of understand the feel and maybe the meaning of things mm. more. It's kind of more literary almost mm. approach to music, and um, and so I, and I did literature as well. And but I just dropped out. Like I really just went to university to get away from home, mm. you know, to have an excuse for leaving home and an excuse mm. for trying independence. Uh, yeah, and, that, and, and, and that the, the of start of the next stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. and um, and you know, expose myself to culture and. Um, and I, I didn't even play music a lot after I, you know, in those in those days. Um, I had a guitar and that, but I didn't sort of. I had other things to do, yeah, you know, other than other than be in a band. So that, yeah. so that took a while to sort of come back. So you, you you drop out, and you come to Wellington. Yeah, so I, I dropped out of university um, and sort of went through a spell of fruit picking that led me close to Wellington, and then I saw. Dylan Tate interview the Six Pistols outside Buckingham Palace, and it was one of those, you know, watershed mm. moments yeah. where you thought, because I had grown, you know, I, I had gotten into music in the 70s and I'd gotten into music on the tail end of, of the hippie era, psychedelia and heavy rock, and um, and around the time things were kind of great but starting to get boring again. So, you know, bands were getting funky and they were trying different things and the whole thing was just, you know, there was no there was no youth movement anymore. Mm-mm. And I really wanted to be in that youth movement, you know, that that, that would have been cool. And um, so instead of just, you know, one one minute you're, you're there sort of like, well, you know, when's Sid Barrett going to get back together? You know, the next minute it's like, wow, the Sex Pistols, you know, here it is, I mm. can jump on now. Mm. I, I can get on now, I'm a little bit older, you know, maybe a few years older than the average person doing that, but, but um, yeah, this makes sense to me. And, and I got, uh, so I got into punk rock, but I got into it 
was the kind of ethos that you know the rough trade people did is here is an here's a place where you can experiment now mm. um and you know you, you you've got this you know beautiful energy of the music but you can be doing other things with it as well and and um and yeah so that's when i first so that's when i in wellington is where i got together a band and actually played gigs and got paid to play gigs and mm. kind of um wasn't just playing for the friends that would tolerate you kind of yeah thing. yeah yeah and it was quite a i mean this is ahead of my time in wellington um but i've talked to a few people that were here in that in that era and i find it interesting obviously because i've lived in wellington for the last quarter century but it's quite an interesting time happening mm. probably wherever you are in the world at that time yeah, given, yeah. given what you're talking about <laughs> the whole punk explosion but Wellington had a real scene didn't it yeah Wellington had a real scene and we were in a, the beginning of that scene mm. and I actually had probably left before it was like the fully formed terror scene but I knew all those people and, and, yes. and we're definitely kind of at the, the, in at the roots of that and um, and it's yeah 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 definitely um is you know the most connected music scene I've been in apart from Dunedin. Yeah, yeah. So why did you leave? Um, well, we um, we got arrested for stealing tape recorders and equipment to make an album, <laughs> which later came out as the Battle of Bosworth Terrace. So we were doing PD in that, and um, yeah. that well, probably wasn't too much fun and. <laughs> Um, but it was more, I don't, I don't think I left to get away from it, except that, you know, any place that you live for too long, if you don't have much money, any place you live for too long, you kind of run out of options. But, um, the, um... Well, you're talking about, right, that, that, that thing you were talking about before, about sort of young kids and music being almost deluded. Yeah. Uh, that, that's almost right at the heart of it, isn't it? All we need to do to make an album is just go and, st we don't have equipment, we just need to go and steal some equipment and then, yeah, we'll, and then we'll be world famous because we'll have a... <laughs> Record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of it, it, it's, it's kind of like that. You know, we want to try the studio. We can't afford a studio, but so we'll just get one. Of, we'll just get we'll we'll get one, and you know, it's a bit. Um, yeah, it's um. So we went to um, we went to Christchurch because um, one of the people that came up stayed with us in in, in Wellington that had most impressed me was Bill Vosberg. From, and he he is this young kid from Christchurch and just real charming and sort of genius and at lots of things and um, and then he told us about this scene back in Christchurch where he was which he was getting together with his friends and it was kind of an art rock scene and kind yeah. of more um, you know they were art school they were art school dropouts and and we and and the um or at actually at art, art school and. Um, the Wellington scene was kind of more gritty than that, and it just sounded like, you know, a really good thing to explore. So we we went to Dunedin, and I mean, so we went to Christchurch mm. and um, and sort of stayed there, and it was kind of a, almost like a commune scene, like what you read about the Amondol mm. early days about the Amondol bands and that kind of thing, and um, started making music there, and that was um, a bit more introverted, a bit more kind of recording. Um, um, recording rather than performing, although we did some performances that were some memorable performances. Now, I know things are cheap, and and it's not the concern to have anything more in life than be able to get by. But how are you surviving financially? 
Oh, fuck did I know? I, I really, um, I think I was able to get on the dole in Christchurch, yeah, yeah. which I don't think I would necessarily had been in Wellington. But, but in Wellington we were squatting, for example. We basically mm. had a, were we squatting or did we just have a really cheap flat? There would be some people with income that who I would basically be bludging off, I suppose. And I didn't have jobs from time to time mm. in Wellington. I, I worked at quite a few labouring jobs. So there was always um, a little bit of money coming from somewhere and a little bit of money was all you needed. But... Um, yeah, the the you know it, it would be mind-boggling in terms of our adult concerns to yes. look back at that. Yeah, you know, it would just be terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Christchurch, you stay there for about two years. Yeah. About two years. So um, one one thing is there's more drugs in Christchurch. Um, mm. Very hard to find drugs in Wellington, um, and um, so there's more drugs in Christchurch. There was. Um, uh, less, I mean, less opportunities to play, and what we were doing was becoming, you know, more experimental, less pop, maybe more kind of challenging, and um, and at some point the whole thing became less disciplined. <laughs> it became less disciplined, yeah. and I kind of began began to care less about it. Yeah. You know, I just sort of thought, well, oh, fuck, this is just noise. You know, <laughs> it's kind of. Um, <coughs> I can still write, you know, I can still write a, writing songs here and there, and you know, but it's it's more of a kind of a roller coaster where some days you're just not really motivated, mm. and um, and um, eventually, um, uh, Susan, who was in the band, uh, my partner, who was who was in both Despise and Wellington and in the and band in 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 Christchurch, um, we were having a child, so we wanted to go somewhere where we could, you know, where life was a bit quieter and yeah. and, and better place to raise a child. So we went to Dunedin. And and in Dunedin, I wasn't playing music at all, really. I was still recording and still trying to write songs, but I wasn't feeling particularly inspired. And then one day, I turned on the radio, and I heard this song called Satin Doll by the Chills. And I thought, fuck me, this sounds like Sid Barrett, and it's being played on the radio. There's hope for me yet. Mm. And, and that was, again, another one of these kind of watersheds where I went out and saw these bands, the Chills and the Verlaines and so forth. And, you know, I wasn't the hell of an impressed by a lot of what I heard, but but the early Chills um, mm. had the energy I wanted and had the kind of the, um, you, you know, they, they, they were definitely doing, doing something that excited me. And um, I started kind of, you know, pulling my stuff together in, in a way that, that kind of um, was more in tune with this new ethos that was inspiring me again, and, mm-hmm. um, and on it went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I want to go back a step to when you said there were more drugs or better drugs in Christchurch. When were, I wouldn't say better, but more available. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when, when, was, when did drugs become, I guess, if not the focus, then... And int- were they always there as an interest, and or did they were they there to serve to make the music more interesting? How did drugs become um, part of the lifestyle? Yeah, in 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 Invercargill, we were friends with you know quite early on. We found, worked out how to buy weed, and the weed mm. you could get in Invercargill was um, Buddha sticks, which are imported from Vietnam and cannabis soaked in heroin, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'd actually have withdrawals when you ran out. Um, which we didn't, kind of, I didn't kind of realise that for quite a while. You know, it took mm. a while to kind of work out after I'd used opiates that that's yeah, that's what was going on. Um, and that was, you know, you'd, you'd you'd get high to you know make music and you get high to um, listen to it. But 
if you didn't have any, you'd make music anyway because you had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so that that that's kind of, um, I guess, the beginning of, beginning of that. And in Wellington, you come across things like diet pills and sleeping pills and so on, and 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 um, which is, um, and um, but when does it become? Um, well, I just yeah, think, in, in those uh, yeah. days it was in, in those days it, it was sort of part of the music making, yes. and I think that's probably less true as as you get a habit and so forth. Well, I was just thinking when you through. said there were more drugs in Christchurch, that strikes me that drugs are, if not the lifestyle, they're a significant they're a part of they're the lifestyle. Yeah, it's yeah, certainly yeah. like you know, like like um, it's like with sex and drugs and rock and roll. When mm. you're young, like rock and roll is the way to get to the sex and the drugs. Yes, you know that's that, yes. that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's kind of do enough know, of one yeah. or two at yeah, all three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's kind of you know various yeah. forms of glory. There's yeah. various forms of of reward that you're seeking, and some of them are intellectual, and some of them are uh, you know purely animal pleasures or whatever, and mm-hmm. and um, and they're kind of all bound up in in that package, and you follow it where it leads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you're in Christchurch, starting a family. Yeah. I mean, in Dunedin, sorry, yeah. starting a family, and getting into and getting into the scene in terms of seeing these bands that are starting to make yeah. waves. Yeah, and um, and still writing, you know, keep still writing songs, and then I write a bunch of new songs that to me sound like they go together and start playing them with the people around me and um, um, now Ross Jackson's an important figure here because he was I was just flatting with him and um, and, and you're hanging out with him and I'm like well, do, you, do you want to be in a band? Do you want to learn to play bass? And I told him to play you know, mm. bass sort of on the bass strings of the guitar or whatever and told him and I was writing my songs I don't know uh, I um, was writing them with very simple bass lines anyway, so they were kind of drones, or they were kind of, the, they were kind of, they would have these chord changes that I liked, but, but, I, but I would always try and pin them to something simple, so they'd be like, I suppose, what you call a pedal running through the music, um, and, um, and a kind of enough harmonic similarity that you could play one part of the song on top of the other part of the song, it was just a variation on it, so I suppose, um, I'm probably not explaining this very well, but I, I made these songs so they could be so they could sound good played simply, mm, um, mm. and so it, it, it so I could get a bass player like Ross and teach him how to play. And luckily, he had a very good sense of rhythm. You know, he'd always play on the, you know, he'd always mm-hmm. be on the beat, which is mm-hmm. the important is the important thing. Yeah, and and, and and so it would sound you know it would sound good. It sound solid. It sound very solid. And um, <coughs> and he introduced me to Peter Gutteridge, Leslie Paris, and you know lots of the people he'd grown up with, mm. and, you know Shane Carter, and 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 um, and I um, eventually started making music with them. Yeah, mm, wasn't Shane in the puddle? He in the very earliest at incarnation. A very, yeah, at, a, at maybe our second gig. Yeah, we didn't have a drummer and. Um, he offered, and he had a, he could play steel, he could play stand up drums. I said okay, and he actually played really well, and it sounded. I thought it sounded really good, and I thought it was the first gig that we'd done where I thought yes, we actually, you know, we actually played well and won over the audience. You know, mm. it's kind of like maybe the first gig I'd ever done like that. So I was quite really grateful to him for that. Mm. 
I feel like the world's um, problems would have been pondered to a very high degree with you and Peter Gutteridge and some drugs in the room. <laughs> yeah. Maybe nothing uh, was solved, but I bet a lot yeah, was contemplated. Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot was, I mean, a lot was <laughs> contemplated, but the, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, Peter and me, we did have good times together, and, you know, and, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a fascinating character, Peter. But we could, we, I had him in the band originally because he was interested in the keyboard, and, uh, I was like, well, I need someone to play the keyboard. I can't play it because I'm playing guitar. I mm. had an but I couldn't play it because I was playing guitar. Mm. So I was, you know, you know, and he was, um, he was keen to play it, even though he didn't really know how. You know, he's got no, he had no musical education. Didn't know the name of a chord or a note. You couldn't, you couldn't tell him anything in a way. But he was, you know, he he'd try and fit in, and it was sound good. Mm. So um, that was kind of like his education on the keyboards. Was was in the puddle, and um, we played some of some of the first songs he came up with that um, became the kind of early proto snapper songs. We, mm. we worked out, we played at puddle gigs, um, and, but you know, he we, eventually it was one of those musical differences things where Peter was he really cared about the sound of things. Mm. He really cared that you know the instrument was in tune, that the pedal was set right, that the amp settings were right, that the sound, the whole sonic thing, and he wanted to explore the whole sonic dimension of it, and I was just more about the songs, and I mm. really, and I, and I, yes, I can tell and, and, you. And, 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 and uh, we, uh, actually, after he died, found some writing, some, 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 of, some of his writing, and there was like a whole page of his sort of complaining about my attitude to music. I was aware, which he never, you know, I never saw this at the time, but I was yeah. aware of this. I was yeah. aware of this kind of fundamental tension between yes. our approaches that was eventually even going on. You're just pulling in different directions. Yeah, 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 yeah we're that. pulling in yeah. different directions. Yeah. And it, 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 it's helped, really helped fill out the puddle sound at the time that he was in mm. the band, that's mm. sure. So when does the, the puddle, I guess, solidify and and really become a, a concrete band when Leslie joins yeah um, so you know the basic puddle was so this always, is what like 1982 83 um yeah 80, probably 84 84 yes yeah. um, I'm yeah I'm not very good at <laughs> yeah, yeah. very good at this for yeah. this stuff um, but by the time we did Pop Live you know that would have been still relatively early on and that mm. was recorded in 1985 mm. at the Captain Cook at a Chills concert mm. um, and yeah, so by that time we knew what we were doing. Yeah. You're one of these bands that you kind of threaten the early staples of Flying Nun and then you disappear. You sort of come in and, and you know, if, uh, it, it seems like you're going to be the big new thing. Yeah. And then you mm. go away. Yeah, well, it's very... um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of factors in that, and of mm. course, one of them's the drugs. Mm. And because you know, most of the most of the um, the flying nun people were pretty together. You know, they were they had jobs. They um, yeah. I mean, it was really impressive to me. It was like an it was like an education to me because I'd come from these various scenes of just kind of you know losers on the outskirts of society making music and um, and come to come to Dunedin and found that people who were quite socially kind of mature. We're also making great music, mm. which is quite a quite a lesson to me. Um, and um, so there was that. You know, we were difficult. Why well, was difficult anyway? <laughs> and um, and also, 
once I started you know, having some success with music, I started thinking in more grandiose terms of we could have a hit. Mm. We could have a hit. We could do a topical song. Mm. And none of that really could fit with the way Fine Nun or the indie business worked. You can't do a topical song if it's going to come out two years later. You can't, <laughs> and you can't have a hit mm. if your ethos is if you know if your mm. whole selling card is that you're not trying to make hits, you mm. know. Mm. And 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 so there was a bit of cross purposes there, and yeah. Mm. So what happens in those in those almost wilderness years? Lots of drugs. Lots of drugs, yeah, quite intense, you know, like learning the and whole, you, and whole thing of drugs, yeah. When you say lots of drugs, you, you're moving through them. You're graduating. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yeah, gradu- you know, graduate, graduating, and, you know, through opiates and to, you know, dependence on the state and that, well, that's, and, yeah, and um, learning how um, the medical system works and, and all that kind of stuff, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, learning about the, you know, the criminal underbelly of, 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 um, our communities as mm. well, yeah, mm. all, of, all of that stuff, yeah. Mm. And how does, uh, how do you make it all, make this all work? How, mm. do, how do you stay alive, get your fix and carry on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why, you know, still trying to figure that out, yeah. that out. But yeah, but I, I gave all that up. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I managed, to, I managed, to, I did manage to give it, give that all up at the start of the century. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's quite. Um, what was the, well, what was the motivator for giving up? Like in terms of like oh. ha, how unsustainable had it become? Or oh, what just, was the, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It had just become totally unsustainable. That in that. You you know the, the, it's the nature of an addiction is that yeah. you do it even when you're not enjoying it. Yes. You, you know you have to do it even though it's a long since kind of. There's no reward at all really, and um, and, and, and so I when I started um, kind of self-treating my Hep C, which I developed as a, you know as a, mm. well, I probably had it all along, but um, I'd um, uh, probably had it for a considerable length of time. But um, I I you know started taking supplements and things in my my brain just started thinking differently and I just thought oh why am I doing this hang mm. on hang on I'm doing it because I enjoy it but I'm not enjoying it therefore I probably shouldn't do it mm. you know it's sort of like went back to an earlier stage of thinking mm. once my brain started working a bit more clearly mm. and um, and just started kind of picking apart all the things that were connecting me to drugs I didn't want to be taking um, <coughs> anymore mm. how long was the process of I guess getting clean um, for some substances, it was almost immediate, and for the methadone, which is kind of the main thing, because mm. uh, I was on so much of it, it took a couple of years. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so, but you, you know, but my mind was like well ahead of my yes, body. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. You know, I was kind of. Yeah. Not well, this is the thing. You're you're seeing the toll that it's taken on you, and to physically, right? Like you have actually, as you say, you'd got sick. Yeah. Yes. As, yes. I as got, a byproduct got, yeah, of taking as, drugs, basically. As a byproduct. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if that had much to do with it so much as I just kind of actually felt sick. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I actually, didn't feel good and didn't didn't feel the way I wanted to feel and mm. and f- could imagine you know feeling better if I wasn't intoxicated. You know, that's mm. kind of like it's. So that's what I mean by my mind being ahead of me because mm. you wouldn't a normally an addict can't think like that mm. incapable of really thinking like that you know they might agree with someone else if they said it but they're not they don't believe it mm. but I, I started having kind of different beliefs before I even start before I even 
And is the music to to blame for this? Did you ever blame the music for it? Like, I mean, you know, I'd like that... to think I'd like to think music could have that sort of power, but not really. No, 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 no. not really. There's no. lots of you know, it's just boredom is to blame. You yeah. know, for the most part, boredom, lack of confidence, and just you know, hope um, of an escape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope of it's gambling. You know, yeah. it's like gambling. So you're gambling on feeling better. You mm. know? You're gambling on feeling better, and you, the price is feeling. You know, the, if you don't win, you feel worse. You know, it's kind of. Did you did you have a conscious um, <clears throat> sort of series of thoughts around what it was like to I guess make music addiction free? Was it did you have to teach yourself things again? Did you have to motivate yourself differently? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you 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 do you do kind of think, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend an hour doing this. I'm mm. going to do you know. I'm going to do this. You, you you know. You sort of like see it ahead and plan it and plan it out and stick to it um, in the way that's not necessary if you're being driven to do something because mm. you feel like doing it at one time and then stop when you don't feel like doing it anymore you know it's a little bit it's a little bit kind of it's just you know how you feel when you, you know, have to get up and do the dishes or whatever you know it's, mm. it's, it's kind of it's kind of like if you have that attitude of oh, I'm going to do this going to be sharp going to do it you know um, <coughs> it just makes it easier you just put a little framework in place mm. you just put a little framework in place and then the work within the framework it just goes more easily. Um, so there's a little bit of a need to do that, I think, mm. compared to how it would be if you were doing it high. Mm. But then that's just, when you're doing it high, everyone you're doing it with wishes you were doing it within the framework. Yeah, it'd be yeah. a lot easier for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you, I mean, the songs don't actually ever stop, do they? Or do they stop for a few years? Um, it can take me a year to write a song. Yeah. You know, on, honestly, it's taken me uh, it's, it's taken me like a year to write a song. I've just picked it up every now and then, and um, and and so I write. I, I think I write less quickly than I used to, and I also try and put more into my songs. Mm, mm. You know, I don't just go, oh, it's finished. You know, but I, I'm I've written it. It's finished. I had the idea. Wrote it down. It's finished. I'm like, I can improve that. I can. I need a little bit here to make it perfect. You know, I can be a bit more. I'm thinking fussy. more back to sort of 15, 20 years ago when you, I guess, get around about when you get clean. The puddle kind of comes back with a series of albums oh, yeah, quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, I wrote a, there's lots a, of songs. Yeah. Actually, I wrote, when I first got clean, yeah. I actually wrote lots of songs. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, got in with my partner, so I had like a whole new, a whole new life, and I had a whole new kind of set of ideas about things and kind of like a more you know my musical I guess vocabulary was improving mm. because I was actually playing more to actually to actually make music I was playing more um, was playing more of it which kind of gave me more um, more ideas and ability and so mm. forth yeah. Mm. yeah and when do you move to Auckland In around this time yeah, yeah 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 so around this time as yeah. well and that's worked out okay. Cause yeah, it's the longest pl- great. It's basically the longest place you've yeah, yeah. lived somewhere apart from Invercargill when you were a kid, I guess. That's right. It's very stable. It's kind of like... Um, because everywhere else I lived, I just lived because I had nowhere else to go, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like nowhere else to go. It's like what you can afford. It's like, you know... It, it, it's, it's, it's all kind of by default. And, mm. and the life in Auckland is more planned. It's more kind of where... You're quite a musical outsider because you're kind of drifting... In and around these scenes, often just as you said with Wellington and even with even with Dunedin, you're you're drifting into them sort of in the pre stages of the scene fully forming, and then yeah. by the time it's fully formed, you're out to the side doing your thing. That's somehow included, but not entirely included. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess <laughs> so. And you know, it's 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 yeah. It's like all these. <clears throat> 
always Dunedin bands that are like, oh, we're not Dunedin sound, you know. Mm. When, they, when our season was part of the Dunedin sound. Mm. And um, I'm kind of the opposite of that. Mm. <laughs> I see myself as part of it, but maybe other people don't. <laughs> yeah. They're not so going to classify me in there, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think my friend Matthew Cooper probably put me onto the puddle um, when I think about it now. But um, I sort of arrive at the, at the band when you're putting out these albums in the mid to late 2000s. Mm. And and they're extraordinarily good. Like there's just a huge amount that you've got to say in these songs. And obviously, a lot of this comes from that time. You're saying sort of a few years before that, where you get clean and start prolifically writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all you know. Um, a lot of it's done in that in that in, in a relatively short period, mm. and then it keeps on going, but it slows mm. down a bit. Mm. And mm. Um, that's right. And maybe it's the stuff I didn't do for you know. Mm. There's a whole. I think there's a whole decade where I maybe wrote one song that I've used since. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I was playing in Mink at that time, mm. recording, so there was stuff being being recorded yeah, and done. Yeah. So it's um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's um, maybe it's this kind of like pent up kind of lifetimes. You know, lifetimes of stuff that's been um, processed in the light of kind of a renewed ability as well. And is it around this time in Auckland that you, I guess, stop? being a drifter and you find gainful employment as well oh yes yes so how I, does that come into the story I mean that's really well because I had to because there were no good hep C drugs until a mm. couple of years ago and it just wasn't worth following medical advice up until then and um, so I just had to kind of go my own way and you know read the alternative books and then kind of look at the alternative stuff and ended up um, taking supplements and then ended up they worked but I kind of wanted to kind of understand how they worked so I could make it more reliable and started learning about biochemistry and about nutrition and things like that and um, and um, at some point I'm on the internet um, engaging in all these discussions on blogs about, mm. about nutrition and you know, I kind of worked out that the public health advice for the last 50 years or so hasn't been all that and it's probably been counterproductive, it's probably had the opposite effect from what people wanted it to have and I'm arguing about that on the internet and one of the places I argue is Professor Grant Schofield's blog. Um, Grant Schofield is kind of well known now for um, what the fat and promoting um, low carb diets and and um, I start arguing with you know, experts who are opposed to him on his comments and he gets in touch with me and says, oh you're really good at arguing the stuff you know that you know you know you know about papers mm. that don't you want to come and work for me as a kind of you know so I've kind of been a backroom researcher mm. in um, Grant's um, enterprises since then and um, you know it's not a not full-time work mm. but mm. it is it, it gives me a little bit of sort of stability and mm. being off the benefit from time to time so um yeah yeah and yeah it's um and I guess that's the only way I could ever have had a a steady job is by drifting into it. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah. In some way, driven by my own ongoing interest, yeah, which is, yeah. and it's still an area I find really fascinating yeah. because, because you know, like I say, we you know we think that we think that the the public health advice has been um, kind of wrong-headed, um, had the opposite effect from what's wanted. But that's actually very hard to prove. You know, you can you can know that, you can treat people extremely well you know you can reverse people's diabetes and things like that by mm. giving them advice that is the opposite of the standard advice that's given to people with diabetes and um, 
and you know you can just see that you know here's here's a doctor with, who's using this method. He's got 60 people off insulin. You know, 60 people who don't need meds anymore to have normal blood sugars. And and um, well, hang on. What do you mean by the opposite the opposite advice with something like that? Well, well, what, at some what's point, what's kind of a tangible example there? At, at some point, um, this, this idea in uh, medical advice and um, nutritional advice got entrenched that you know to prevent heart disease, cancer, mm. diabetes, blah blah blah. You need to have no more than 30% of your calories is fat, mm. no more than 10% of your calories is saturated fat, you need to have as much polyunsaturated fat from vegetable oil as you can fit in within that 30% you're allowed, mm. and and um, don't worry about the carbohydrates, they're going to be fine. And, and you know, people say, oh, but we never said you should eat sugar, but you go back into like the American Heart Association and all the things that people were saying, and sugar was a very low priority, it was often, it was often promoted as a way of replacing fat, mm. and, you know, it just was. It just was. So whatever the intent was, um, you know, the advice was getting out there to you know not worry about the flour and sugar and those things, and, mm. and use as much vegetable oil as possible. And um, and when you give people the opposite advice, and you say, well, try and eat as little carbohydrate as possible. Don't worry about the saturated fat, and don't you know, don't throw in these refined vegetable oils. Um, you you know they they get better, and so. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the advice was flawed because yes. the cure for a disease doesn't have to be the opposite of its cause. Yeah, yeah. And there's not a lot of evidence that, say, carbohydrate per se causes diabetes. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, but it certainly makes you think, hmm, maybe, you know, that advice was wrong. And as I say, that's actually hard to prove. But then the more you look, you start to find out the ways in which... You can explain that, and and so that's kind of the ongoing the ongoing process is is, mm. um, is to kind of work out you know what went wrong and and you know not not just what's a better way of doing things for people who become ill um, that way, but also what's a better way of doing things for the general population. That's kind of gives them kind of more more freedom because people you know I don't think people should have to be kind of like panicked about the things they're eating mm. on a weekly basis through the mm. TV news. Mm. You know, that's not helpful because it's not like the food's changing that much, that quickly, that you need a new message, a new message and often, you know, contradictory message every year, so mm -hmm. every, every, every week. And usually there's some, you know, agenda behind those messages, some new product that needs selling or, mm. or you know... Um, or kind of reaffirming someone's sort of politicised position on something. So, yeah, it's, um, but anyway, that's, yeah, I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's this whole other side of your life and personality now as well, I guess. And, yeah. And, 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 and it requires some creativity. Even, yeah, yeah. Even though it's dealing in, um, you know, science and yeah. facts and it's, it's, it's... You have to be able to write about that's it. That's right. You have you, to be able to write about it yes. eloquently and persuasively. And you've been doing that. And, and you've and published organize some... your ideas. You've yeah. published some pieces on the spin-off and, and some other places and book reviews yeah, and yeah. things so that Yeah, so Steve Brownie has yeah. got me interviewing books about yeah. nutrition and, yeah. um, and I've also been published in, uh, you know, the British Medical Journal and um, mm. the... General American Medical Association and so forth, um, and, and kind of um, New Zealand Medical Journal and sort of peer-reviewed articles and letters, and um, and that's that's fascinating too because then you're applying literature to science. Yes, you know I really yes. believe I really believe in the scientific literature that it should be literature that it should have, you know, because literature is a, a is is 
writing is is a it's a logical formula, just as mathematics is, or it can be. Yeah. It can be, whereas one one phrase relates to another. The, stru- the structure of the sentence um, explains the meaning of the things you're saying, and if you structure them differently, they mean something different. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and so it's um, yeah, yeah, it's um. Well, hearing you articulate this, I can see you putting together your journalism, your scientific articles. In a way, I can see you putting them together the way you might put together a song. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess so. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it sort of has to be musical. It has to sound good read aloud. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it has to sound good read aloud. Yeah. And then, of course, it's always edited and reviewed and edited, and you have to change things, so it gets a bit clunky. And then you're like, it's oh. the thing. There is a. But that's like being in the studio, and you don't quite get the thing. It's you the want thing. There is a rhythm, go. and and uh, people will talk about a rhythm to writing, but there needs to be a melody to. I think journalism and and literature. There needs to be a melody. Yeah, yeah. One one sentence needs to echo another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that kind of thing. Yeah, if you can find a good, a nice echo Mm. within your, Mm. a nice resonance within Mm. within the things you're saying. Find a little 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 thing that you don't make too obvious that links them all. Little codes and callbacks and things as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, and I think like I could, I can sort of, uh, you know, see how your uh, how your brain would take to those tasks, and they're completely different. But you might almost take to those tasks, you know, the fact that you can say, "I can spend a year working on a song," means you're not yeah. you're not you're not desperate to just sort of throw something out there and brain dump. Yeah, that might be the start. But sometimes be, you have to. Yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. That's you have right. to, but um, that, and sometimes that, doing you you drop something out to get to something else, right? Like you yeah. brain, you brain dump a and maybe an average song, but it, something in that takes you to another place for yes, another song yes and you've got to get out of your system sometimes yeah. you just got to get things out of your system so you're still writing music when you can yes and you're still you're still releasing things the the puddle is on hold um yeah but if I go down to Needham which mm. I will be doing next year I want to try and get and, and get a puddle together mm. and I'm still, so so we're still releasing things so I have a band in, in Auckland called the New Existentialists mm. with mm. a couple of younger musicians like a nice um, rhythm section and um, with a, a guest um, keyboard or synthesizer players mm. um, with, we had Chris Hazelwood at, at one stage and now we've got a new young guy and um, and so um, <coughs> we made an album with Bob Frisbee but Classic frisbee. It's taking ages. Yeah, it's been finished, but it's mm. taking ages to get the the mm. masters and that. But mm. um, but that's going to be released on Fish Rider. I mean, he did a marvelous job, and it's going to be released on Fish Rider um, this year sometime. Mm. Mm. Um, Ian's label, and um, and we're still we're into the the sequel. You know, doing the demos for the um, for the follow up mm. now. Um, which may be a double album because I seem to have more songs all of a sudden. Um, and I presume there's a, a fair bit of archival puddle stuff that could see the light of day. There's a little bit. Mm. There's a little bit. Mostly live, you know, mostly just better live versions of things than people have heard before mm-hmm. or something like that. But there's a few songs that, that I did that we did um, at Ian's that um, never saw the light of day because they were demos but mm. sound pretty good now mm. that, um, that, that we might stick out at some stage too. Mm. Mm. And so what um so the new existentialist there's there's, there's stuff there that's coming out and yes. there's still stuff you're working yeah, on. Yeah, there's a, a single came out mm. a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I have that. Mysteries of the Worm. Yeah. Yeah. And um and and so that's off that's the album that that was 
recorded within yes. um, should be about this year, 10 song album, and then um, another thing in the pipeline. Also, I play in my daughter's band. Um, she probably has a band called Blue Cheese. Yeah. And that's, and she's started playing songs at home, recorded recorded some stuff on Garage Band, and then sort of wanted to put it into more of a shape. And Chris Cecilwood was staying with us at the time, so me and Chris and Poppy sat down and kind of worked, them up, worked out songs and put riffs riffs behind them and then they've been learnt by other people mm. and it's sort of a really fascinating version of Chinese whispers for a song so mm. you teach a song to someone Chris teaches the bass line to Hugo Hugo teaches the bass line to I don't know Fraser or somebody mm. who's playing the song and, mm. and so these songs um, and I've been in the band all along playing the synthesizer and um, and, and that's really cool because that's sort of introduced me to a new generation of musicians who are making um Making music in Auckland, um, some you know who's, who are extremely capable as as well, and you know and and you know, impressively organised and so forth, and have their own scene, and mm. and um, that's 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 you know, um, it, so that that kind of thread goes on. Mm, that's, mm. That, but that but that's fun because that's a band where I'm just a sideman. Like I used to be in the X-Men at one mm, stage. Mm. I used to be the keyboard player in the X-Men, but I was just a sideman, so all I had to do was... Turn up. All I, all <laughs> yeah. I had to do was turn up and yeah. plug in my synths and make some weird noises and, yeah. and, and enjoy a gig, yeah. So you kind of will always have an outlet like that, I take it. You'll always want to yeah. be doing something with music. Playing. Yeah, yes, I always want to be doing something mm. with music. And I have a piano that I mm. play a fair bit and I write mostly on the piano now. Mm. Um, and um, because, you know, I'm trying to learn how to actually write music, how to actually write it down properly so someone else could play a piece that I wrote, which is, you know, that, that, that's, the, that's kind of one of the challenging bits and how to... Um, <coughs> how to make different musical effects from the relatively limited range of musical effects that I've learnt over my life. And <coughs> I could see you doing a, um, an album of your songs, I don't know whether you would play it or not, or someone else would, but solo piano. I, I think there's, there's quite a crooner aspect yeah. to your voice. Yeah, I, I couldn't play. Yeah, I, so I mean, you, I, mean I, I really have a very poor touch on the piano. Sure. I can write songs on it, but I, I find it very hard to play. Yeah. Um, very hard to record them on the piano, um, but um, uh, yeah, I mean. But does that sort of thing appeal to you? Yeah, have you ever thought about that? Like, I, I'd love to hear other people performing mm, my songs. Mm. I, I think um, there's only been a few cover versions in my in my life, and mm. the, the um, one of the guys from um, Cut Off Your Hands did a version of one of my songs. Yeah, that's I think still out there on the internet. That's really cool. Mm. Um, and um, but I've I've often thought, you know, these. You know, because my voice is, you know, it's my voice. <laughs> it's limited to what I can do. And, yeah. and, you know, I listen back to my recordings. Every now and then I hear one where I go, yeah, you nailed it there, but I hear a lot where I didn't. Yeah, I hear yeah. a lot where it's a bit off pitch. It's yeah. a bit, you know, it just it sounds a wee bit wrong. In but in that, in that regard, I find your catalogue a little bit like John McCleary's. Like, I listen to the Spines and I go, why aren't there more covers of Spines songs? Like, someone could put together a really good, you know, tribute. And it's the same with your writing. Yeah. You know, it could happen, like getting a bunch of people to record these songs and putting it together. Yeah. Because you, you're both very distinct 
vocalists and writers, but there's something very universal in the stories that you tell. I'd like to hear orchestral versions of them too. Like yeah, the, yeah. The version of um, Southern Man that the that the the Symphonia did yeah. with Graham Dunn's yeah. arranging was. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed that. That was like that's like the apotheosis. Need to, get, need to get them to Jazz Coleman. He might, <laughs> he might orchestrate yeah. them. Um, and and you're still actively involved in music hugely as a listener. Do you want to talk a little bit about the? Because I'll include a link to it in this. The piece that you wrote that I published was about um, female classical composers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I um, I've always kind of like listened, you know, because I did music at high school, um, and so it's kind of like. Knew a bit about classical music there, and I've always used classical ideas in my music. Mm. So I've used kind of like whole tone scales and um, tritones and various modal ideas without really knowing much about them. I just read about them in some encyclopedia, and I thought, try this. Oh, that sounds cool, and it mm. makes it different. You know, it gives you a, it gives you a point of difference for mm. people who are just in the rock tradition. If you can be in the rock tradition and use some kind of idea like that, and um, it's. Um, and but I just had a few things I liked, you know, Debussy and Ravel, and um, a couple of things like that, that are kind of um, not really representative of classical music. And and um, and and a couple of years ago, somebody lent me a copy of uh, Glenn Gould, the Glenn Gould Reader. Oh, Gould yeah. is a yeah. famous pianist, but he was also a pretty amazing writer about music, a really passionate writer about music. Yeah. And, and, and quite idiosyncratic. And I read this and I thought, I just want to listen to the stuff he's talking about. Mm. And then I read um, uh, Alex Ross's book. Oh, yeah, yeah. His great book, The Rest yeah. is Noise. And again, you just want to listen to it stuff that's been written about mm. and um, so I started going um, to went, went to Real Groovy and started going through the cheap bins and just mm. finding stuff because I knew I liked Prokofiev mm. so I started listening to um, you know started getting quite a few Prokofiev records um, uh, Gould raved about Richard Strauss who I kind of tried to listen to when I was young but I kind of like just his music kind of just kind of it's kind of got a, a, a chintzy Victorian veneer now mm. but 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 He's the as waltz, soon as you get through the, that, it's like the most marvellous music ever he's written. He's the waltz king, right? No, no, well, no, he's the other Strauss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's the modernist. Right. Yes. He's, he's the modernist Strauss. But, yes. But, it, but it, there is something, there's something kind of dated about his idiom, but, but that's a very superficial, that's a very mm-hmm. superficial thing. And once, mm. once you're through it, it's the most amazing kind of bubble of creativity ever. And um, so I got into those, those are kind of my entry points mm. into... Into classical music again, and um, and I steeped myself in that stuff. And I was, uh, and one day I was, um, I was in a second-hand shop, and you know, always looking for something new to listen to. Having you know, having kind of absorbed in just a couple of years quite a, a wide range of stuff. And I realised, you know, I don't really bother listening to Bach or Mozart or Beethoven. Um, I don't, I don't mind hearing their music, but I'm really interested in modern, modern stuff. People kind of. Um, dealing with the, the sort of the post-romantic kind of, you know, what are we doing next? Can we, you know, has everything been written? Let's think of something new, kind of that kind of era of music um, from, I suppose, from about the 1890s onwards. And um, I um, was in the shop and, and I saw this record and it had um, a piece on it by Mrs. H.A.A. Beach and I was just like, oh, it's a piece written, written by a woman and yeah, that's not very promising the way mm. she's spelled her name, the mm-hmm. way she's presented her name. But 
I've got to listen to this. You know, it could be you, you can't you can't kind of ignore anything that's different when you mm. you know. And it was only a dollar, and I bought it, and it was like this amazing piano concerto. And then when I started listening to that her music on YouTube, all these other suggestions came up of female composers, and I realised, wow, there's there are other female composers. I'll listen to them, and I listened to some some of them. One of the ones I listened to was uh, uh, Vyacheslava Kapralova, and her music's just amazing, and it's reasonably accessible too, and it covers quite a wide range of styles, and it's done in a very short period. She died at the age of 25, and um, but there's heaps of great music, you know, so much that it's hard to pick one where you can say, oh, since this, this is the best, because there's another, you know, mm. there's several other comp- comp- competing um, pieces in that in in, in her work, and and I, then I thought, you know, um, why why haven't I heard this music? Why have so few people hear mm. the music? Why isn't it in the Why isn't it in the textbooks I've been reading? Mm. Why you know? Um, why did Gould never hear it, for example? And um, I'm <coughs> and so um, that's what that that, mm. that piece was about was mm. to try and introduce it was great. Some, some composers that yeah. people actually would find. You know, wow, this is, this no, it was is, a wonderful this piece. Is great, yeah. And it's it's interesting and and everything you're talking about there too, just superficially in terms of like grabbing hold of classical music it's it has to be the greatest genre like people you know have this kind of wall that a lot of people have this wall that they put up like I don't understand it it has to be one of the greatest easiest sort of genres to jump into because of the the sheer amount like obviously there's yeah. loads of crappy versions but the sheer mm. amount oh, of stuff it. you it's can also, access it's also cover versions that's it's it. all cover versions all, yeah. and, you, and you learn that there are bad cover versions and good cover yeah, versions yeah 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 and you can and you can grab enough. it for cheap for, yeah. for nothing and next to if you if, and if you've got a record player then you can always find 20 cents and one dollar classical records right, and they're yeah. interesting and yeah, some, yeah, of, right. some of my favourite records to, um, I've ever owned and continue to listen to are one dollar classical records that I know next to nothing about but the music blows yeah, me away yeah yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely just, yeah. and then you find your little pockets within that that you research and get to know a bit yeah about. And connections yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. Um, my favourite book for uh, putting me onto a lot of classical music oddly was a book I bought in a two dollar chuckout bin years ago was Nigel Kennedy's autobiography because at the end of it like his story was vaguely interesting to me because Mm -hmm. obviously he kind of blew up out of nowhere and I remember that whole yeah, his Vivaldi thing you know and the how how pop how that became I think it's the biggest selling classical album of all time but the second half of the book is him sharing stories about his favourite composers and him telling potted biographies of Bach and Beethoven and so on, and giving you like key works to check out, and it was a it was like a little bible for me. It was amazing. Yeah, wow, amazing. You know, great. it was cool, yeah. and I just did the same thing. I went yeah. and bought two dollar and one dollar classical records by the by the bin load, and jettisoned a lot of them, but still have yeah. heaps of them. You know, this yeah. is twenty five years ago. And prior because I didn't grow up with classical music at all, I just had no appreciation of it at all. Well, we had a copy of uh, The Ride of the Valkyrie mm, on, mm. on single, mm. I think it was probably Stokowski's version, and um, I always loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I always yeah. loved that. I've yeah. always kind of tried to reference that in my music. Yeah, but, yeah. But, well, well, that's it. It's yeah. like when I say I didn't grow up with any classical music, as I started to hear by pieces and obviously film soundtracks and things, you recognise mm. all these familiar <clears throat> motifs if yeah, people like yeah. John Williams are very clever at ripping oh, yeah. off. Yeah, I mean, if you, yeah, existing real, yeah, things. yeah, it's like yeah. Um, 
the Raiders of the Lost Ark yes. theme is Strass. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. Um, Don Juan. It's, yeah. theme. It's, it's like a parody of the theme from yeah, Don Juan, yeah, yeah, of kind yeah. of the jaunty hero. And then things like, you know, what you were just talking about, like something like Apocalypse Now, the way that's the classical music's used in there, or, mm. or um, Clockwork Orange is another one. You know, the, yeah. the, the, um, the Wendy Carlos um, synthesised classical stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. things like that. You start to... And then you just realise, actually, you've absorbed heaps of this music without really thinking about it this weird sort of thinking about it snob factor that classical yeah. music carries and, and, and the other effect of that is that it gives it connotations mm. that the composers mm. didn't intend at yeah. the time yeah. so you listen to something and you go you know it reminds you of a movie soundtrack and yes. and, and that kind of misuse of it wasn't necessarily yes. at all what they were yes. what they were going for. So you well, Clockwork Orange is the, from your, Clockwork yeah. Orange is the great example of that, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah to, in terms of his fetishization of um, Beethoven. Beethoven. I have engaged with you on Facebook over the last few years, and so I see you know things that you share and talk about, and also things that you comment on my page. So we haven't really talked about. Um, the you know you've talked about punk and classical but what are the singer songwriters that you or songwriters that you admire if not yeah, felt yeah. influenced I mean, by but what are the things that you you know go to or for the it? things that kind of inspire inspiration yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the, the musicians that, that who inspire me um, we have um, Luke Haynes in the mm. in Britain who was in a band called The Autours, who yeah, were yeah. one of the um, one of the kind of Brit pop bands, but who has gone on since to do this um, sort of um, cottage industry of concept yes, albums, yes. and 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 he's and he's a really fucking funny writer. Yeah, he's a really he's a really funny writer. But another thing about him is he's one of the best guitarists that yes. there is. He's yeah. like he's in the. Um, in the McRonson kind of school mm. of, of designed yeah, guitar parts, designed, yeah. and you know the colouring's always mm. just right for the song, yeah. and the notes are carefully chosen. These are these are composed orchestrations, orchestra- yes. yeah, they're guitar orchestrations, and they're yeah. just and they're just the epitome of rock, of what, yeah. of, what of what rock guitar writing of a certain type should sound like. Mm. Um, um, so. I have spent a lot of time listening to his stuff. And his memoirs are fantastic. Oh, they are so funny. Yeah. They are are just, yeah. I've got to read them again, you know. (laughs) They are are re-readable books, yeah. And and his his Coleman record collectors is also worth worth catching up on. Yeah. And um, the... I think the last New Zealand record I was really, um, really like and still like is I.E. Crazy's non-compost mentis oh yeah yeah and and that kind of to me kind of relates to classical music it's a kind of a something on a scale and kind of with a, a kind of a, I suppose a seriousness of intent and a, um, a a kind of a layering of complexity yeah, in the yeah. music and so forth that's uh, that is you know, operatic at times yeah, yeah. and um, but also but also Again, sounds like rock, you know. So there's, there's things that kind of you know, re, you know, definitely you can relate to them in terms of Brian Wilson, or you can mm. relate to them in terms of, of kind of like industrial eighties music and and things like that as well. Um, mm. And but just I think done to kind of like the perfection. Well, what about those big sort of heritage artists that 
you know the songwriters songwriters that people always talk about like your Bob Dylan's Brian Wilson Joni Mitchell maybe even Neil Young like yeah. do you are you hooked on them were you ever hooked on them do you feel the need to go back and check that stuff out yeah I mean I'm always interested to hear Neil Young yeah what, what he's doing um I've um uh yeah yeah I, I certainly have a lot of time for Neil um Brian Wilson is kind of like I kind of feel I've digested that stuff. Yeah, I'm not you know I'm I'm not necessarily going to put it on mm. again now. Mm. I'm, I'm I'm aware that it's good. And I'm aware yeah. that it's kind of worked its way through my yes. The best yeah, of you it know, you can call up and you hit if you need to through kind my, of thing through too. my system. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's right. And um, and and also you know it's just kind of uh, pitched at a level of ability that's beyond me too. So yeah. it's kind of like yeah. there's not a lot of point in kind of um, trying to imitate it. Um, and um, but who who in their heritage world is kind of you know underrated or yeah? I feel like Elvis Costello slipped away in the last yeah. few years, and people uh, you know he, he sort of like people painted him as a kind of one man arts festival because he was doing all these different mm. things like the piano album, the ballet, whatever. Um, but I I feel like I mean he came back last year with a fantastic yeah. record that yeah, was I mean, right back to his kind of spiky, you mm. know, power pop stuff. Yeah, I mean something like last year's model had definitely yeah. had an influence on me. Yeah. At, at, at the time, yeah, that's definitely. Well, I think that's a fan, great yeah, album. I think that's a fantastic record still. The only ones records always yeah always deserve replaying. I think. Um, um, well, the singer put out that um, solo album. About two years ago, oh, yeah, year and a half yeah, ago. Yeah, did good, yeah. and that was great. Yeah. First solo album, yeah, that was fantastic. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's always interesting hearing where kind of music's going, you mm, know, and it's, mm. and it's um, in, in its in its more popular or kind of um, the alternative stuff that makes the mainstream, as it were, you know, your modern mm. your modern thing, which is kind of your singer songwriter folky folky type stuff. Um, I think. Um, I think some of Tiny Ruin stuff is, is mm. really marvellous. The, mm. the, the song she did at the Opera, the Silver Scrolls, a couple of years, the mm. version of the Chelsea Jade song she did was just brilliant. And some other stuff that she's done is just... Again, she's, again it's kind of fully completed music. Yes. It's music that's been fully kind of... Its possibilities have been worked out. You yes. know, it's, it's not just the sketch of a song, that you, which is what you get from, say, Aldous Harding, is you yes. get the sketch of a song. And sometimes yeah. they're brilliant songs, like yeah, The yeah. Barrel. Yeah. But I don't kind of like relate so much to that kind of mm. um, just getting the sketch. You know, I don't like, I don't really like the sound of the records. Yeah, I think that's true. I think both Nadia Reed and Tony Ruins have um, such great understanding of of the whole architecture of mu- of the song, like mm. the sonic ingredients uh, are considered. You know, there's yeah, the, warmth the, to their records. That's not, yeah. it's not just a demo sketch. It's not yeah. like a. Uh, oh, this is a pretty melody, and you know this will do. Which a lot of people are doing, and just yeah, discarding yeah. and going, well, "That'll do." It's, they're yeah. build, they're actually building records in the old-fashioned sense, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I kind of knowing how to get all the feeling out of a phrase mm. by the way you sing it and how it's orchestrated and what the backing the, band's doing. The big one for me, and that has been like. Laura Marling, who I think is an obvious touch, well, she's uh, British, but I'd say she's a very obvious touchstone for Nadia Reid and Tiny Ruins. Um, they'll probably be 
compared to her for life and 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 she's a you know a contemporary she's a young singer songwriter that's still making new music but she's worth checking out because she has that and and she'll forever be compared to Joni Mitchell of course which is a little yeah. unfair as well as as well as being probably quite an amazing comparison it's yes one of, one, of, one of the interesting things I found when I was um, exploring Vigilava Kapralova's music is mm. you come across phrases on the piano, piano introductions to songs and things and you think Joni Mitchell could have played that mm. that actually sounds like something off blue and this is music written in the late 30s yes this is music written in the late 30s when jazz was you know basically Gershwin or something mm, like mm, that would be mm. would be um, you know it, it looks forward to things like Joni Mitchell Weather Report mm. um, even Rufus Wainwright it looks forward mm. it, it actually has this kind of like you think oh this this sounds current, you know. It actually, it actually has a, a current feel to it, which is, yeah. Mm. So you're still listening a lot. I'm still listening, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm still listening, and which is to say, not that I ever turn on the radio to hear music. Yeah, because, yeah. Because oh my God, you just despair, you know. Whatever station you listen to, whether it's you know, even concert FM, I just give up, you know, what mm. they think, what they think is the classic music that people should be hearing, or or national, national, you know, national, the national program. What they think is the New Zealand music that people should be hearing it often. Mm. Just uh, it's mm. like there's more to it than that. There's a lot more variety than that. Yeah. And um, and and yeah, yeah there's, there's there's really nothing that kind of has it all. But there never was. You but know, the, there never was a golden age where you wouldn't hear crap. No, that's right. But the user experience now has been um, tailored for the going down wormholes where you mm. where you feel like you're doing you know it's all algorithm based but yeah. you you actually feel some purchase on it yeah. like like it's it's a bit like those pick a path choose your own yeah. adventure stories yeah. like yeah. you're picking the next thing to listen to someone's actually given you a few options but you feel like oh well I'm going to go to there and that becomes your discovery mm. yeah, yeah, and um, so you're never going to get that from a radio show no, you, get, no, you know not. some of those things like those Henry Rollins and Jarvis Cocker and some of those great personalities who put on shows yeah. you like being invested in their personality and their choices and, yes. they, and they have yeah. good knowledge yeah. um, but that's as close as you're going to get yeah. those sorts of things this is something that was actually in Glenn Gould's book that he wrote in the 60s which is that modern technology mm. he was doing recording kind of with the highest you know the, the most advanced mm. technological level and he was like you know the listener's going to be helping to write the pieces within a relatively short time it's going to be possible for people to mix put together this and that mm. it's going to be possible you, you know that that the extent to which he, he really does kind of like look forward to um a, t a time when the listener has that much control and when people are remixing and and doing those kind of things mm. um remixing and remastering and you know mashing up the music they're listening mm -hmm. to which I think is, um yeah that's I mean it probably has happened but like that's where it's going to go next I think is artists are just going to go here are the stems you know yeah, yeah, build yeah. your own because I mean here you are know, the tracks was, mix them yourself about, because but, you know you don't have to just listen to on a stereo yeah. you, you can easily listen on a 16 track program yeah, with, yeah. With, a, with, with a disc you know? that's right yeah. well it was about 10 it was about 10 years ago when Beck just put out that songbook and said, here are my new songs. Play yeah, versions of them. Yeah. And then when he ended up recording the versions, like, I had no interest in hearing his versions because I was interested in the idea that he had just given his music up and said, record yeah. cover And yeah. I only checked out a few of them on YouTube and it was mostly just people sitting at the piano playing and it didn't so much... Nothing moved me about it except for the concept. Yeah. But things like that, 
now we're going to get to the point where people are going to record the basic tracks but just say you you arrange my record for me and put it in the order you want to you know mm-hmm. yeah. and that because we're doing that you know with our playlists and things that that's that's all positive though right like yeah. that's all interesting yeah. and, and you know that's like classical music people are writing mm. stuff in the hope that someone else is going to play it that's you right know? as you say it's all cover yeah, versions it's, it's, it's all, all yeah yeah <coughs> Well, we've had a nice chat. Um, uh, uh, Should we leave it there? Yes. Yeah, that was awesome. Cool. Oh, I suppose it just flew up the nose, leaving you perfectly blameless. Oh,